All right, John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you want to read with me? John chapter 6, I'll be starting at verse uh, 24. <clears throat> John chapter 6, starting at verse 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into the boat and went to Capernaum to search for Jesus, in search of Jesus. There they found him on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, where did you, uh, how did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And this is the word of God for the people of God. There's a story about a man who would go into a restaurant uh, every day, and he always ordered the same thing. He always ordered the soup of the day. So after his meal uh, one day, the manager, as he was checking out, the manager said, well, how, how was your meal today? And the man said, well, it was, it was good, but you know you could give more bread. Two slices of bread just isn't enough. So the next day he comes in, orders the soup of the day, and the manager says to the waitress, give, the man, give him four pieces of bread. So they give him four pieces of bread. He checks out. The manager says, how was your meal today? He said, it was good, but you could give a little more bread. So the next day he comes in. The manager says, give him eight slices of bread. So they put eight slices of bread down beside his bowl of soup. He eats it, checks out. The manager says, how was your meal today? Well, it was good, but you could give a little more bread. Well, the next day, the man comes in at lunchtime. The manager says to the waitress, give him a whole loaf of bread, 16 slices of bread. So they put a bowl of soup down and a whole loaf of bread. He ate all of it. He checks out. The manager says, how was your meal today? Well, it was good, but you could give a little more bread. Well, by this time, the manager, he's obsessed with making this guy happy. He goes to the bakery, and he orders a six-foot-long loaf of bread. And the next day when the guy comes in, him and the waitress, they slice it all the way down the middle, open it up, butter each half of it. They bring him his bowl of soup and two six-foot-long pieces of bread. He ate every bit of it. The manager's waiting at the checkout. He knows he's going to get the response he's been waiting for all week long. He says, well, how was your meal today? He said, well, it was good, 
But I see you're back to only serving two slices of bread. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> you know, sometime this week, probably, sometime this week, more than likely, you'll go to the grocery store and you'll buy bread. It, it's something we just buy every week. There's an abundant supply of it. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's all different varieties of bread, just about any kind of bread that, that you can think of. Uh, it, it, you'll pay very little attention to the price. It, it, it's not all that expensive. Uh, all in all, it's just a run-of-the-mill purchase that you and I make every week and pay very little attention to, isn't it? But there are other parts of the world where people are starving, where people are hungry, and they would love to have the opportunities that we have just, just to purchase a, loaf, a simple loaf of bread. And bread was important in the days of Jesus also. Uh, and I don't know if you've given much thought to it or not, um, but, but just for a moment, think about how important uh, or how, how many important events in the Bible are centered around bread. Did you ever think that? There's a lot, isn't there? There's a lot of important events that center around bread. Uh, and probably the most important one in the Old Testament Scripture uh, has to do with the book in, with the, the Exodus of the Hebrews uh, from from uh, from Egypt to the Promised Land, right? Uh, but do you remember why did the Hebrews end up in Egypt to begin with? Well, if you remember the story, and I'm just going to kind of touch on it, there are these brothers, right, that can't get along, and they hate their younger brother. They're jealous of him. And, and they want to do away with him, and they throw Joseph down a well to kill him. And then they decide to have compassion on him, and they fish him out of the well, and they sell him to a group of Ishmaelite traders, right, in slavery. They sell him into slavery, and they're headed on their way to where? To Egypt. When they get to Egypt, they sell him into slavery to a man by the name of Potiphar. And just to be brief as I can, Potiphar puts him in charge of his household. He's in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife makes advances towards him. He refuses her. She lies about him. Where does Joseph end up? He ends up in prison, doesn't he? Well, come to find out that Pharaoh discovers that this man, Joseph, can interpret dreams. God has given him a gift of interpreting dreams. And again, to make a long story short, Joseph ends up being the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, doesn't he? Second only to Pharaoh himself. Well, there's a drought that hits the land. And Jacob, Joseph's father, hears that there's an abundance of grain in Egypt. So he sends his sons to Egypt to purchase some grain. And when he gets there, Joseph recognizes his brothers. And that's when Joseph begins to play this cat and mouse game with his brothers. Again, to make a long story short, all the Hebrews end up migrating to Egypt. And they stay there. For years they stay there. They multiply. They, get, they, they become such a great number of people that Pharaoh himself begins to fear them. And he puts them all in slavery. And they're in slavery for 400 years. And that's when... God raises up Moses, and Moses delivers these, the people out of slavery. But it all began with the lack of bread. 
It all began with the lack of bread. In the New Testament Scripture, Jesus, him, uh, Jesus is, is uh, um, ministering to the people. And, and he's, or no, he's not before he ministers to the people. He's being baptized by John the Baptist. And after he's baptized, he goes out into the wilderness. And he's there for 40 days. And it says the sun beats down on him. And he's hungry. And he looks at these rocks in the wilderness. And it says the rocks look like loaves of bread. And Satan, the tempter, comes up to him and says to him, If you're the son of man, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then one day the disciples hear Jesus praying and they ask him, teach us how to pray. And Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer it says, give us this day our daily bread. But perhaps the greatest remembrance of bread in Scripture is on the night before Jesus is betrayed and he has this supper with his disciples, and he takes a loaf of bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Church, you simply cannot, you simply cannot escape the importance of bread all throughout our Judeo-Christian heritage. It's all throughout the Bible. And that brings us to our scripture for today, and if you go back just a couple of verses from where I started, this is where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. He feeds 5,000 with just, with just five barley loaves and two fish. With that small amount of bread, Jesus is able to feed the multitude of people that's assembled that day. And after, after this event, Jesus sends his disciples across the lake, right? And then a storm rises up. Jesus, this is where he walks across the water. He saves them. He rescues them. But the next day, the people he had just fed the day before realize that they're not there. They're gone. So they go in search of Jesus, looking for him. And when they find him, they told you know, we didn't know where you were. We didn't know where, where you had gone. You left. So they're in this conversation. And that's when this feeding of the 5,000 the day before starts to generate a little bit of a controversy. The people were quite impressed at what Jesus did. Took a handful of fish, a handful of bread, fed all of these people. So in John chapter 6, verse 30, it says, So they asked him, What sign will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? And they point out in verse 31 that when the Hebrews are in the wilderness, Moses was able to do something miraculous. Moses was able to bring manna or bread from heaven. And since that time, there was a strong belief amongst the Hebrews, amongst the Jewish people, that when Messiah came, he would be able to do greater things than Moses. That he too would probably be able to bring manna or bread from heaven. You see, th this wilderness miracle in the Old Testament Scripture, bringing manna from heaven, this was considered to be, uh, you might say, the Superman act of Moses. So the Jews believe that when Messiah comes, he will surpass anything that Moses has ever done. In other words, the Jews are challenging Jesus at this point to prove his claim of Messiahship, to, to, to rain bread from heaven. You might think, well, you know, he just fed 5,000 people the day before with just a handful of bread. I mean, it, wouldn't you think that was a miracle? Yeah, 
I mean, of course, you would think that was a miracle, but that's nothing compared to what Moses did. You see, what Moses did, Moses fed over 2 million people for 40 years, and the bread came from nowhere. It just fell from the heaven. The people are having a hard time understanding what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus reminds them in verse 32, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who would give you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. You see, they fail to understand that the real bread of heaven wasn't manna. The manna, that was only uh, symbolic. That was a representation of the true bread that was going to come in Jesus Christ. The real bread from heaven didn't come just to feed their physical needs, but to take care of their spiritual needs as well. And, and at this point, they just, they just don't understand what's going on. They have no idea. So Jesus says to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. For Jesus to call himself the bread of heaven, he's claiming to be divine. He's claiming to be divine. When Jesus emphasizes that it was God who gave manna and then tells them that he is the living bread, Jesus is claiming here in this scripture to be God Almighty, or at least to be doing the things that only God can do. And Jesus is inviting everyone to participate in his divinity by consuming him. He's not talking about cannibalism. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about inviting Jesus to come and live in your heart. And the Jews, again, they're having a hard time understanding this. It's about like the little two-year-old girl. The little two-year-old girl, her parents, they had taught her all the nursery rhymes about Goldilocks and the three bears, uh, the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. But they would also read to her uh, some familiar scripture uh, from, from the Bible. And one day her mother read this scripture to her from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The words of Jesus, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And when the mother read that scripture, she looked at the little girl and she said, Honey, if Jesus comes knocking on your heart door, will you open it up and let him in? And the little girl looked at her and said, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. <laughs> she just didn't understand. The Jews here, church, they're having a hard time understanding what Jesus was talking about. Jesus is simply inviting us to take part in his divinity by allowing him into our innermost being, just as does the food that we eat. Jesus, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, not only is he making one of the greatest claims in all of history, but he's also making one of the greatest offers in all of history. He's saying, let me come and live in your life. Let me come and enter into you. Let me be a part of everything that you are. Listen to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 34. This is verse 8a. Listen to, what, listen to this invitation. Oh, taste and see... That the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever gone to Sam's Club out at Southridge? Any of you ever go out there? I'll tell you what, a good time to go out there is around lunchtime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can walk in the front door and you can make your way around that store and you can get a good lunch, you can get something to drink, 
And you can probably get a little bit of a dessert before you leave there. They want to give you free samples, right? They want you to taste and see, this is good. They want you to become a loyal customer. They want you to buy their product. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I remember when I was a kid. And I remember in, in Canole City, and I'm fine, I may be mistaken. Some of you may correct me, but it was right. I think it was right where the City National Bank is now. There used to be a bakery there. I think it was Purity Made Bakery. Oh. Was that what it was? Okay. But the thing I remember is when you would drive by there, Oh, yeah, right? You could smell that bread. You could smell the cakes and the pies and everything that they would make, and it would make your mouth water. Well, why would it make your mouth water? Because we had tasted it. We knew what it was like. We knew what it, had, what it tasted. We didn't experience it, right? Once you've experienced God, that's why that sulfur is coming from the book of Psalms. Taste and see, because God knows if he can get you to take a taste of him. Once you've experienced God, you will never be satisfied with anything else. Anything else. And with all the five senses, the five senses of sight and hearing and, and smell and touch, what is it that they use here? Taste. The psalmist uses taste here to describe this religious experience because taste is the most personal of all the senses. All the others can be shared outwardly, right? Publicly, But taste is internal. You take it into your mouth. Taste can also be dangerous. You know that? Nancy, she loves shrimp. She loves it. But she can't eat it. It's dangerous to her. I mean, she, she, has, she has a reaction uh, to it. Uh, certain foods, when you take into your mouth, uh, can poison you. Has anyone here ever had food poisoning? If you've ever had it once, I promise you, you'll never want it again. I had it once. I looked like the little girl on the Exorcist movie. It was, it was horrible. It was terrible. Uh, we, uh, several years ago, we went to Louisiana. We had some friends who lived uh, down in, in Louisiana, and we went to visit them a couple times. Those people eat anything in the world down there, don't they, Frank? They'll eat anything, and they deep fry everything. All right, I don't care what it is. I mean, we ate stuff. We ate alligator. Uh, yeah, we ate uh, uh, boudin and uh, beignet. I don't know what all everything we ate. We, we went to the, I only went to this one place, and they take corn on the cob, and they would roll it in something, and they would deep fry corn on the cob. Uh, a friend of ours took us to a restaurant, me and, Char me and uh, Adam, to a restaurant one afternoon, and you couldn't, we couldn't find a place to park on the parking lot hardly. The building looked like it was about ready to fall down. But I'm telling you, the place was packed. The people, in, they're eating every deep-fried thing you can imagine. And I looked at Charlie and I said, what is the life expectancy down here? Uh, in, in, anyway, you know, I, I, just, I just wondered. And, and the reason I ask it is because when you take food into your body, you are in jeopardy to the effects of that particular food. Uh, I mean, you just, you just are. Our, our weight, our, our, our health, our, our attitude, everything depends upon the food that we eat. Now, hang in here with me for a second, church, okay? Hang in here with me for a second. I'm trying to take you somewhere. I'm not, I'm not trying to lecture you on the importance of, of good nutrition, all right? That, that, I would be the last person that could ever, trust me, I'd be the, I ate a big bowl of ice cream last night, and I... I'll be the last person to lecture you on good nutrition. So, so eating food, eating food involves trust. J 
you ever think about that? How many times have you went into a restaurant and been served food by a total stranger, right? Yeah, by a total stranger. So now let me read Psalms. I want to read Psalms 34, verse 8 again. But this time I'm going to read the entire verse. Listen to what it says. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God bless the man who trusts in him. Bless the man who trusts in him. Jesus is asking us to trust him. Taste and see that the Lord is good, he says. Jesus says, trust him. Try him. You've tried everything else. Try Jesus. What's the old hymn of the church? Try Jesus. He never fails. He never, never fails. There's a, there's a story. Let me tell you this story. And this is a... Uh, this is a, a, a myth, a folk tale, a legend, uh, and it's about a woman who was blind. She had never been able to see her entire life. And one of the men, one of the men in the area fell in love with her. And he loved her unconditionally. He loved her with every fiber of his being, and he would do anything for her. But she didn't think it was right for him to be burdened by a wife who couldn't see. But he didn't look at it that way. He didn't look at it uh, as a burden. He was persistent. His love for her was unconditional. And then he had heard about uh, a new surgery that doctors, that surgeons could perform, eye transplant surgery. And he was hopeful. If we can find a suitable donor that could, we can transplant eyes and give her her vision. Well, the only suitable donor was the man himself. And he loved her so much that he was willing to sacrifice his sight so she could have sight. And as she was, unbeknownst to her, she had no idea who the donor was. So as she was recovering from her surgery, she's in the room and they remove the bandages from her eyes and she looks in the mirror and she cannot believe how beautiful she is. She just can't believe how beautiful she is. A couple hours later, the man who had donated his eyes comes in to see her, and she says, well, I can't spend my life with someone who's blind. Look at me. Look how beautiful I am. I have to have a man who can see. I have to have someone with me who has vision. And he left the room. A little while later, her family come in, and she told them about this man who had come into the room and made advances toward her. And the family knew exactly who it was. And they told her that he had sacrificed his eyes so you could see. And it says she was struck to the heart. And she looked for him and she searched for him and she could never find him. I told you this old folk tale, this old myth to remind us all of the selfless sacrifice that was made for us 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and died for you. He hung there and died for you and for me. The bread of life has come so that we could have life. In church, our response should be a response of gratitude, of, of, of appreciation for the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. 
You and I, we, we shouldn't hunger for things that are here today and, and gone tomorrow, right? That's not what we should hunger for. You know, I, and I know I've told you about this lady uh, in Logan. She was a, a businesswoman in town. Her name was Eva Mae McCormick. And uh, she was never married. She never had, had no children. And when she died, she left everything she owned to that congregation. She left everything she had. She had two homes. She had one in Florida. She had one in Logan. Uh, it was our responsibility to take care of the one in Logan. We had to, we had to sell it. Uh, first thing we did was we were going to have a, uh, uh, what do you call it, an estate sale uh, at, to just get rid of everything that was, it, that was in the house. So one day, me and the janitor from the church, we had to drive down there for something, and uh, his name was David. And David's walking through the house, and he's looking at everything she has, you know, going to every room. So he got back, and we got back in the car, and we're headed back down to the church, and he said, man, she had a lot of stuff, didn't she? I said, yeah, she sure did, David. She was a very wealthy woman. He said, wow. He said, but it's not hers now, is it? It belongs to someone else. And I said, that's right, David. You can't take any of this stuff with you. So when you think about it, why should you and I hunger for the things that we're going to leave behind? Why should we hunger over things that people are probably going to fight over <laughs> once we're gone anyway? You see, to satisfy your hunger for heaven, you can't eat the bread of earth. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up treasures where? In heaven. Store them up in heaven. Hunger for the staff of life, which will give us eternal life. To satisfy your hunger for heaven, you and I must eat the bread of heaven, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus asked us, church, to trust him, just to trust him and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord God, for the bread of heaven. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, you sent him to this earth. You sent him here to, to satisfy our hunger for eternity. You sent him here, Lord God, to bring peace that passes all understanding, joy in the most troubling of times. Lord, that's why you sent him. And we are so thankful that this gift of eternal life, this gift of joy, this, this gift of perfect peace is free. He paid the price for us on the cross of Calvary. He took my sins and the sins of the entire world and nailed them to the cross in order to satisfy God's anger against sin. Father, thank you so much for this perfect gift of salvation. And if there's one person here this morning who's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that you speak to that heart this day. Speak to them, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.